In God We Trust. It's our national motto, reminding us of where our hope lies, as a nation and as individuals. Since 1977, your American Family Association has been a voice to proclaim that hope to America. As we begin this brand new year of 2018, we want to encourage you to be confident that God is in control. In the midst of everything happening in our nation, we can trust God. And now, American Family Radio presents the In God We Trust series, titled Saving a Sick America. Here's your host, John Riley. Welcome to a brand new year, and thanks for joining me. For 40 years, the American Family Association has been proclaiming the message that we are a nation that trusts in God. And of course, we've drifted very far from those biblical values that our nation was founded upon. And you might be thinking, it's just too late for our country. We've gone down this dark road for way too long, and, and there's no hope of recovery. Well, our special guest on this In God We Trust program doesn't believe that. In fact, Dr. Michael Brown says there is hope, and he firmly believes the best is yet to come for our nation. Dr. Michael Brown holds a Ph.D. in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures from New York University. Uh, he is the founder and president of Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina, he has authored more than 25 books, including his latest, Saving a Sick America, a Prescription for Moral and Cultural Transformation. He hosts two hours on a, of a program called Line of Fire. It's heard right here on American Family Radio on the weekends. Welcome, Dr. Brown. Great to be with you, John. Thank you. Dr. Brown, in your book, uh, you lay out in the clearest terms and how far we have fallen as a nation from our earliest days in the colonies as a, as a fledgling nation. But then through the scriptures, you, you outline a prescription for radical change. When I think about a prescription, I think about going to the doctor. And before you get that prescription, you got to get a diagnosis. So what's the diagnosis for our country, you know, spiritually, morally, and, and in that way? Yeah, b- before we can really get help, we, re- we need to realize how sick we are. And when I wrote this book, Saving a Sick America, what I felt in my heart was write a book about the fall and rise of America. I mean, it's very counterintuitive, especially as Christians, we tend to be doom and gloom and it's all over and everything's getting worse. But I felt, show how sick we are, but then show what can happen with the cure. And here's the picture that came to mind. It's 1961. You live in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, married with three kids, 15, 13, nine. It's it's family TV night. You're all going to gather together and watch shows like Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver, but you fall asleep while watching Leave It to Beaver, and you wake up, and it's today. So you've gone from Leave It to Beaver to a new dating show, from, from Andy Griffith to Secret Diary of a Call Girl, from, from Father Knows Best to Keeping Up with the Kardashians, from Leave It to Beaver to Game of Thrones. You think, what kind of world have I woken up to? And say, say the 13-year-old... She's at the psychologist with, with mom uh, to up her antidepressant. She's been cutting herself and suicidal since her best friend killed herself after the sexting incident when the 12-year-old girl sent her naked picture to her boyfriend, then he broke up and sent it to the whole school. You think, what, what kind of world did I wake up in? And, you know, the, the culture of violence around us, the things that entertain us, this saturated society that's just sick with sin. So the diagnosis is... We've been to the doctor after a heart attack, and he says, you almost died. You're very sick. But if you'll make radical changes to your lifestyle, you can actually be healthier in the years ahead than you are right now. Yeah, you know, you you look at what's going on in our culture, and a lot of people would start thinking, oh, wait a minute. 
I just want to go back to the good old days. You know, talk about Leave it to Beaver and all that, all that kind of stuff. I mean, were those days really the good old days? You know, I mean, do we really want to go back to those days? I mean, these days that we live in are pretty, pretty tough. Yeah. So let's be realistic. America's always had issues and problems. Are, are the golden days of America the days when we had slavery? Are the golden days when we had segregation? Are the golden days the roaring 20s? I mean, we've obviously always had problems. But look at it from this larger angle. Were we a more family-friendly society in the 1960s, a more innocent society? Hugh Hefner, the poster boy of the sexual revolution, just died at the age of 91. The first Playboy edition came out in 53. I read that he didn't even have his name in it. In case the thing bombed, he didn't want to be blacklisted for life. That's how conservative America was. Do you think it was a better world then or today when eight-year-old kids are accessing pornography for the first time? where 10-year-olds are learning about different sexual activities in school and which is less likely to produce a sexually transmitted disease, when 14-year-old girls have STDs for life that'll never be cured, where 20-year-old young men are on Viagra because they can't perform with a woman because of porn addiction. Is is that a better world? Is it a better world when the vast majority of kids were, were born in a home with a mother and father? Or now, where 50% of all children born to first-time mothers in America are born out of wedlock? Is that a better world? So we have to look around us and recognize, again, it's like the difference between Lassie and Game of Thrones. And then if you go back to our founding, yeah, we had problems there, we had issues there, but so much of what made us great was biblical foundations. And and in point of fact, we want to make America great again. That's the Trump motto But America can't be great unless America is good, and America can't be good without God. So we've got to get back to spiritual foundations if we want to see national transformation. I mean, were we really a nation founded on spiritual principles? I mean, a lot of people say, I don't don't think so. You know, they want to try to cover cover all that up as as us being a Christian nation. Is that just a myth? Uh, Do we really have roots as a Christian nation? Kind of dig into that whole idea if we are or if we're not. In the mid-1600s in America, one of the colonies passed the Old Deluder Act. Who was the Old Deluder? Satan. And they said, you know, previously where we were in Europe, Satan tried to keep the Bible out of our hands by not allowing it to be translated into the language of the people. Now he can keep the Bible out of our hands if we're not educated. So every, every community that has a certain number of families must establish schools so that children can learn to read and write so they can read the Bible. Kids learn their ABCs. A, all have sinned. B, believe in Jesus. C, Christ died for us. On and on it went. So the Bible played a key role. Even the founding fathers who were not all that religious presupposed that America would be a religious and moral people. Thomas Jefferson in 1774, perhaps the least religious of the founding fathers, called for a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting when King George had said that that they were going to blockade Boston Harbor after the Tea Party. He called for a day of prayer, humiliation, fasting. George Washington said, spent the day in church fasting. So yes, our roots are Judeo-Christian roots. The idea that we were just going around killing Native Americans and enslaving people is an ugly and exaggerated and inaccurate picture. In fact, from the very beginning, within the colonies, there was dispute about slavery. And the the first colonists wanted to reach out to the Native Americans and show them the love of God and the truth of the gospel. So there's a, a reconstruction now that makes our roots much more secular or the founding fathers were all non-believers. In Saving a Sick America, I did fresh research. I, I bought or, or downloaded, if you couldn't buy them, primers that were used in our schools. 
and and it's shocking the biblical morality that's in the 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 lessons from proverbs the things like this the starting with a hymn starting with prayer and this is although not all of america was christian and you had people of different religions and many were more secular you still had the bible revered even through the 1800s, I traced it through in our educational system. And then the founding of our great schools, Harvard for the glory of Christ and, and Yale and Princeton and Columbia, uh, to about 225 out of our two, first 250 universities and schools were founded by Christian denominations for Christian education. So we were massively more Christian in our foundations. And that's what made us great. The idea that every human being has some type of inalienable right, where does it come from? The fact that we're created in the image of God. So no, we've never been a perfectly Christian, totally Christian nation, but we have been much more Christian. And that was one of the most eye-opening things to me. So that's how I start off saving a sick America. After diagnosing our sickness, I said, let's go back to our origins. And then from there say, look, I don't want to impose a theocracy. The goal is not to have religious leaders take over the nation and hit people over the head with the Bible. The goal is for us who claim to be followers of Jesus to go back to living by Scripture and then to show the world we have a better way. So what has happened in our nation, Dr. Brown? It seems like we have become biblically illiterate. Do we even read the Bible anymore? I mean, I'm just talking in general statements here, but is that a big problem? Yeah, it's, it's a big problem. It's part of the larger dumbing down of our culture. Uh, the culture in general is a soundbite culture, almost as if as a culture we have some type of ADHD. It's hard to focus. We're so distracted uh, by constant wiring, so texts and emails and, and just the flood of, of information. So just to get someone to sit down with a physical book and read through a book and think. It's all fun because we've got to check this and, and check text messages and respond to email and, and get the latest news and things like that. And it happens in the church as well. We have dumb things down. Yeah, there are Bible apps and more and more people downloading these. That's great. But think, we have access right now in our fingertips, in most of our cell phones, to more biblical material and biblical resources than any other generation in the history of the world. And we're probably one of the most illiterate generations when it comes to Scripture. I lay that also at the feet many times in our churches that we're just preaching a superficial feel-good message instead of really challenging people. Let's dig into the Word together. And in our private lives, we're increasingly distracted. So the, the problem starts with us. The solution starts with us. The problem starts with us. If we will recover the truths of Scripture, the beauty of Scripture, the wonder of God through Scripture, and then prioritize encountering God first and foremost in our own lives, what's the problem in America? That the salt is not salty and the light is not bright. Who can fix that? With God's help, we can. You're listening to In God We Trust, and our special guest is Dr. Michael Brown. He is the author of a book called Saving a Sick America, a Prescription for Moral and Cultural Transformation. It's available at afastore.net, afastore.net. Also want to encourage you to check out uh, the ministry of Dr. Michael Brown, askdrbrown.org. That's it, A-S-K-D-R-Brown, askdrbrown.org. Easy to go to. Check that out. Find out more about his ministry, his organization. There is a lot of great stuff there, askdrbrown.org. Now, in the book, you deal with the idea that we are all created in the image of God. And what in the world does that have to do with, you know, restoring our nation spiritually, morally, and culturally? Yeah, once I begin to deal with the solution, so after laying the foundation, the rest of the book is solutions, solutions, solutions. So our abortion culture 
has led to a wider culture of death. And then even with that, the being entertained by violence. You know, right now, Americans are traumatized, rightly so. We look back at the Vegas massacre and, and other horrific things in our society, and, and it's painful and we agonize over it. But the truth be told, we're entertained by violence day and night. Sometimes the, the criminal is the hero and people just get shot. Everyone's killing each other and the blood and the gore and zombies having their brains exploded on the TV. We have become desensitized. So we go back to Genesis 1, and my scholarship is in biblical literature and ancient Eastern languages and things. So you look at Genesis 1 compared to ancient creation accounts where the gods are fighting with each other or the gods are mad because other gods or humans are making too much noise and whatever, and, and it's crass and it's, it's carnal. You look at the transcendent God of Genesis 1 who brings light out of darkness, who brings order out of chaos, brings the seas together, brings out dry land, produces a thriving, reproducing creation, and then, and then creates as the, the high point of his work, human beings created in the image of God. When, when we grab hold of that, the poorest starving child in an obscure village has value. The helpless baby in the womb has value. The 98-year-old who's, who's somewhat senile and confined to a wheelchair has value. Why? Because every human being is created in the image of God. That's why when the dog gets really sick, you put the dog down. When the horse gets an injury, you put the horse down. But you don't just put a human down because we're created in the image of God. Uh, so in the book, I lay out a number of different truths that come from that. So we go back to the beginning, to Genesis 1, and we see, wow. This changes the mindset. Uh, one radical feminist I quote, she had an abortion, and she said, good, the tumor was gone. I, I felt better. A radio host said a guy called in one day and kept referring to his child as, as, as a carbon unit. Well, if, if radical evolutionism is true, if radical Darwinism is true, then we're just the, the random products of a freak evolutionary process. There is no morality. There is no humanity. We just are things, stuff, just no different than this table. But if we're created in the image of God, the, the, the value, the dignity that's put on each human being. And I tell a moving story. An Indian Christian man talks about how an Indian family let their, their baby starve to death. And they tried to rescue the baby and rehabilitate it and get it healthy. And then let the, the baby starve to death again. They, they rehabilitated it the third time. They let the little girl starve to death. And they tried to find out why. And it was explained, look, we, we, already, have, we already have one girl. She can take care of needs in the family and help the, help the mother. We already have boys, and we can barely live right now. We are, we are right at the edge of starvation. We have one more mouth. Everybody suffers. So the right thing to do, the pragmatic thing to do, is let the child die. That's what happens when you forget that every human being is created in the image of God. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the culture of death, and you deal with that in the book. And you know what can we do if we feel like we've been influenced by this culture of death. And I think to some extent, we all kind of feel that way. And you deal with that uh, in your book. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the next thing. Okay. So the abortion issue, but now let's look at the larger culture of death. I mean, is, is it just coincidence that we're so fascinated now by zombies and vampires? Is it just coincidence that so many shows feature corpses and dead bodies and bloody crime scenes. I'm not saying every one of these shows is evil and wrong, but it, it is a culture we're exposed to death and dying. Check out video games. 
how violent they've become and, and what a young person may, may watch and enact and be part of thousands of times before they're maybe even 10 years old. So what do we each do? What I recommend in Saving a Sick America is first that we go on with a normal life, say for a month. And just note down everything that is of darkness and death that entertains us. Just, just note it. Go around with your normal life for a month. We might be shocked. We might be shocked with the violence of sports that entertains us. We might be shocked with the violent shows that entertain us. We might be shocked by how many images of death pass before us that are unnecessary. It's one thing when we're reading about a war or, or shooting and, and we want to understand what happened and look at the images so that we can grieve with the people and pray it's another thing when we're entertained by it. So how do you become sensitized? Well, you have to wean yourself away. Just like if you're addicted to a certain food or substance, you have to stop eating it, go through the withdrawal and replace it with something else. So what I recommend is take a 30-day break from any entertainment that has a death culture surrounding it, a darkness culture surrounding it. And instead, Read extra in the book of Proverbs and John. Why? Because they have great themes of life, 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 eternal life, eternal life. You'd be amazed as you go through the books to see them. And I I lay out some of that. So now that you've gone through that, after a month, decide what you want to put back in and not. What is helpful, what is healthy, and what is unhelpful, what is unhealthy. Let us be bearers of the message of life. You know, people involved in the pro-life movement, it's not the anti-abortion movement, it's the pro-life movement. And what they offer moms and dads and what they want to offer the child in the womb, life, hope. That is to be who we are. You're listening to an In God We Trust radio special here in American Family Radio. And our special guest is Dr. Michael Brown. He is the founder and president of Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, he has written dozens of books. He's got a Ph.D. in Near Eastern Languages and Literature from New York University. And we're talking about his book, Saving a Sick America, a prescription for moral and cultural transformation. You can find out more about his ministry and organization, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. If you want to pick up that book, you can do it at afastore.net, afastore.net. I want to pause for just a moment and let you know that for 40 years, the American Family Association has been proclaiming a message of hope to this nation, that this nation trusts in God. And to help you proclaim that message of hope, We have a special In God We Trust poster that you can purchase. It's a beautiful poster. It's designed to be framed and placed in homes and businesses and schools and anywhere you want to proclaim our national motto. If you want to find out more about that, uh, you can visit afastore.net. That's afastore.net. Dr. Brown, uh, what part does the church have to play in saving a sick America? I mean, you deal with that whole idea of restoring thunder to our pulpits. I mean, has something happened within our churches? Are we not doing the job that we should be doing? Yes. Rather than us changing the world, the world has changed us. I would dare say that we have things in our homes, that we have values in our homes, that we are entertained by things in our homes that maybe our unsaved grandparents would have been shocked at. They're just normal to us. We have somehow bought into the idea that the way to win the world is becoming like the world instead of the way to win the world is becoming like Jesus. We've leaned on earthly marketing schemes and what's trending on Twitter, and we think that's the way we're going to change people. Instead, we just become like them. And when I walk into a room and it's dark and I flip the light on and it stays dark, I don't get mad at the darkness. I don't curse the darkness. I'm not mad at worldly people doing worldly things. I'm not surprised that sinners are sinning. 
my question is, what's the matter with the light? What's the matter with the light? Jesus said in Matthew 6, in a different context, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? When does the salt become irrelevant? When is the salt trampled underfoot? When it loses its saltiness. That is when. When is the light ineffective? When the light within us is dark. I'm not so concerned with the presence of darkness. I'm concerned with the absence of light. And truth be told, I thank God for pastors, leaders all over America, hardworking, underpaid, serving their flocks. But truth be told, many have drawn back from speaking to the culture, speaking to the world around us. George Barnard did surveys. I quote in my chapter, Restoring Thunder to Our Pulpits, where overwhelmingly pastors said, yes, the Bible contains everything we need to address moral and cultural issues. 90 plus percent said, but we don't do it because it's too controversial. We could lose people. We could lose money. We could lose influence. Ironically, 90% of the people said, we want you to address these issues. So on the one hand, let every gathering, every assembly be so full of love that the most dejected, abject, lost sinner can walk in and find life and hope and people that care about them. At the same time, let truth be thundered from the pulpits. We've got to be God conscious. There is a judge. There is a judgment. One day we'll all stand before God and give account. We are all damned and hopeless without Jesus, but through him we can be saved and transformed. America needs to repent. God has a better way. We must restore thunder to our pulpits. I I start that chapter, Restoring Thunder to Our Pulpits, with an amazing quote from Charles Finney from December of, of 1873. It's worth that quote, just getting the book for that, where he basically says, if the nation's messed up, it's largely the fault of the pulpit. Well, Dr. Brown, those are powerful words, and, and you really do believe that our nation is not sick beyond the point of recovery. In fact, you said if God's people will start living by God's word and relying on God's spirit, there's no telling what could happen to our country. I want you to just take, we've got about five minutes left, and share your heart for our nation and the hope. As someone's listening and saying, you know, it's hopeless here in this country. I've heard that before. I've, I've heard it was all over when I came to faith in 1971. Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, had just come out. Jerusalem back in Jewish hands, Six-Day War in 1967. Counterculture revolution of the 60s, the final falling away. Church is backslidden. It's all over. That was 46 years ago. I've documented back to the second century where Christian leaders are saying, it's too late. It's all over. It's the final darkness. Satan loves it when we think like that. I've got to be honest. I follow the Lord. I do my best to walk with the Lord. He didn't send me a memo saying throw in the towel. He didn't tell me to capitulate. He didn't tell me it's too late for the culture wars. We we were feeling that. I, I was not involved in, but 1973, pro-life leaders have told me it looked like it was all over. The, the, those that, that opposed abortion were hated by the society. Roe v. Wade is now the law of the land. Throw in the towel, it's over. Well, they didn't. Why? How can you throw in the towel when you're fighting for the lives of the unborn? How can you throw in the towel when you're looking at your own kids and grandkids and great-grandkids? What kind of world are they going to grow up in? What if Jesus doesn't come back in five years? What if he hasn't come back in 50 years? Have we just abdicated or are we thinking in a multi-generational way? The pro-life movement, by God's grace, stayed with it. Many people prayed, yeah, we've had the horror of 55 million-plus abortions, but less and less states now have, a, have a abortion readily available, and the tide continues to turn. In, in the 1700s, Reverend Samuel Blair said, America, religion in America, or religion in the colonies, it's dying. 
and then the First Great Awakening. Around 1800, Chief Justice John Marshall said the church has gone too far to be redeemed. And then the Second Great Awakening, 1857-1858, James Edwin Orr, the revival historian, said churches were becoming increasingly worldly, internal, uh, internalized, atheistic. A cult was on the rise. Sexual immorality was on the rise. Crime was on the rise. And then the Prayer Awakening. Uh, Time Magazine, April 1966. And this is the last chapter of my book. I quote this. I give background to it. Time Magazine, April 1966. Cover story, Is God Dead? Five years later, Time Magazine, June 1971. The Jesus Revolution. That's when I got saved as a heroin shooting LSD using long-haired hippie Jewish rock drummer at the age of 16. So this whole idea, it's too late. We've heard it before. Yeah, it's urgent. And I can't guarantee what's going to happen tomorrow in America, but I can guarantee this. It's not too late for America. If we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray, if we'll cry out for mercy, if we'll start beginning with us, not pointing the finger at the world, my sin, my coldness, my complacency, my lukewarmness, my compromise, the sin in my own life. If I'll go to God, he's quick to forgive. He's rich to forgive. He wants to restore. And I guarantee you, if we'll turn to him, we could see an awakening the likes of which America has never seen. I wrote Saving a Sick America to shout out to the nation. And I believe God prompted me to write the book, It's Not Too Late for America. Those are powerful words, Dr. Brown. Those are encouraging words because in the day and age that we live in, you look around us and it could be very discouraging and at times it is, but those words are extremely powerful and encouraging. We need it. We need those words. And you know what's, what's amazing? When I speak to people on the front lines of the culture wars, they say, thank you for the encouragement. When I preach in churches with thousands of people and preach these words, look, I'm a realist. I can give the bad news as good as anybody. I'm on the radio. I'm writing articles. I could, I could be hopeless as well as anyone based on what's happening around me. But God, I've had people online to get my book, and then they want to shake my hands and say, thank you. One guy said to me, you're the greatest optimist I ever met. Another said to me, I'm so sick and tired of all the negativity. You were a breath of fresh air. Why? Because of God. Jesus rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of God, all authority in heaven and earth is his. Why should we be discouraged? Dr. Brown, our special guest today. Dr. Brown, thank you for joining us. My joy. Thank you. Dr. Brown, on this In God We Trust radio special, and thank you for listening to this uh, very special uh, program today. Our guest, Dr. Michael Brown, he holds a Ph.D. from Near Eastern Languages and Literatures from New York University, and uh, he's also the founder and president of Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina, I mean, he has written a lot of books, uh, uh, more than 25 books, and his latest that we've been talking about is Saving a Sick America, a prescription for moral and cultural transformation. You can contact his ministry, his organization. It's askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. The book is also available at afastore.net, afastore.net, and Dr. Brown hosts the two-hour Line of Fire radio program weekends on American Family Radio Talk. For 40 years, the American Family Association has been proclaiming the message that we are a nation that trusts in God. To help you proclaim that message of hope, we have a special In God We Trust poster that you can purchase. It's a beautiful poster designed to be framed and placed in homes and businesses and schools and anywhere you want to proclaim our national motto. To get that poster, simply visit afastore.net. That's afastore.net. Thanks for listening. The In God We Trust series, celebrating American Family Association's 40 years of proclaiming that the blessings of our nation come from God's gracious hand as we've trusted in Him. 
As we begin this brand new year of 2018, we want to encourage you to be confident that God is in control in the midst of everything happening in our nation, morally and spiritually. We can trust God. Thanks for listening and have a blessed 2018.